Rob, you want to give the opening today? Have you ever done it on a Tuesday? <laughs> I do it every Tuesday that you're not with us, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never Somehow we watched find you do it. I've only, I've only heard it. Yeah, I don't know how you guys do it. I don't know how you get along. I'm like a cat who covers, covers his eyes up and then thinks no one can see him. That's how cats hide. Yeah. Maybe this. Hey, everybody. It's Tuesday. That means wow. it's uh, Politics Day on the Common Good Podcast. I'm Rob Ryersey alongside uh, Doug Paget in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Dan Dietrich in South Bend, Indiana. Hope you're all doing well. We got a lot to talk about today, but before we jump into like all the news of the day and the political implications and all of the craziness that is continues to be Trump world, um, you guys watching Severance? No, I've heard good things, but yeah, I'm a episode and a half in. This is this is the best show I have seen in a long, long time. Really? For, yeah. For those that uh, for those that maybe don't know, Severance is a show on Apple TV. Um, so you have to have an Apple TV subscription, or you have to have a friend with an Apple TV subscription, mm-hmm. um, or, or ready to binge <clears throat> and get your free freebie subscription and just watch yeah, one ex- show, watch it for a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And uh, Severance is. Um, <laughs> It's a TV show. It's a sci-fi, futuristic kind of thing. That's, but it's not sci. Like I'm not a sci-fi guy. But it's it is uh, about a, a workplace, an office, a set of characters who work together who have a procedure done that separates their memory, so that what happens at work cannot be remembered at home. Yeah, and what happens at home cannot be remembered at work. Yeah. And uh, oh. essentially creating um, two people sharing a life, mm-hmm. one trapped in a workspace and the other living out in the world. And it is a fascinating TV show. Um, I, I read somebody, somebody on Twitter, which I don't Are we still using Twitter? I don't. Uh, we'll, I, get I, we'll get there. Who are you? What kind of monster <laughs> are you? I know. At Rob Ryersey on Twitter. Um yeah. So I read somebody on Twitter said that this show was as if Stanley Kubrick directed the movie Office Space. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, which I thought was a really clever description. And I got to tell you, it, I, it starts a little slow as you get to know people. And then there are reveals along the way and things that you learn. And it is fantastic and i know one of our one of the shows that we all love is uh oh shoot what's the name of that show that's patriot i think you're thinking of patriot Patriot. there we go patriot you knew knew. (laughs) well there's Uh, one scene that i saw where a guy walks by on a on a on a platform on a like a a skyway thing and i'm like is that the guy from patriot is it i haven't gotten there yet oh man it is Seriously, yep. the guy has, that they push um, in front of the bus in that sh- in that other show, he's the guy that just walks by and he says, and the fellow says hi to him. Oh, I don't know about that. I thought you were talking about the brother-in-law. The, okay. Uh, Episode two, the bro- there's a scene where, the, remember in Patriot, where the, the guy who gets pushed in front of the bus? Yes. Yep. That yep. guy, I think yeah. that actor just walks by and I'm like... <laughs> That's the guy that from Patreon. I think, you know, that's, you know, I'm like, yeah. uh, is this, so, so maybe they're just really winking at that show. Maybe they're, yeah. they're, they're all, yeah. but there is, there's a scene later in the oh, book brother. where, or later in the show where, um, the, the, the brother-in-law who was the brother in Patriot, um, mm-hmm. 
Rickett, I think is his name yeah. in in, uh, yeah, uh, in Severance. Um, he writes a book, and there's a, a spot where someone's reading the book, and he's kind of reading what the person is reading, you know, like so you get like the voiceover. And there are some lines that he says that I I laughed out loud, and my first thought was. Oh, when Doug watches this, he's going to text that very loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm trapped in a postmodern circle. I don't know what yeah. to do. <laughs> so it's yeah. So I, I don't know. Be curious what you know, okay. folks out there that are that are watching or listening. You know, what are you? You know, any any great shows that you're watching right now? Uh, Severance is one that I just I just think is fantastic, and the ending, oh, so good. Well, and I'll tell you, it has popped on the scene. Like the show came out just weeks ago, I think, right? I mean, fairly recently. And the number of disparate places where I've heard about the show or people saying it or random podcasts that I'm listening to and someone's like, are you watching Severance? So it has that magic of whatever it is that's just... It's almost like this, someone drilled into the the brain of the consciousness of culture and inserted a little <laughs> capsule in there. Uh, if you watch Severance, yeah. you'll get that reference. But it's almost like yeah. it just somehow some things just make it and yep. get in there and people talk about it spontaneously. I'm watching this show. I think we're going to do television reviews. Uh, oh. I'm watching this show <laughs> on HBO Max called Winning Time, which is about the Lakers. Oh, fantastic. It seems like everyone I know loves it, except the people who were in the Lakers in the early 1980s. Oh, they, they seem to not. They seem really? to not care for it. Had, <laughs> had you read the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar response to Winning Time on on his Medium page? Yeah, it was spectacular. Yes, and, uh, particularly and wasn't the, happy about it. And I disagree no. with him. It's, it's the, I think his <laughs> critique of the show. He's a little too close to have his critique be be honest, mm-hmm. but it's great. I was sitting in a restaurant talking. This is last Saturday, two Saturdays ago. We all had to talk loud because it's a noisy restaurant and we're post-COVID now, so it's, you just yell again. And I was talking to people across the table from me, and I was saying, are you guys watching Winning Time? And I hear the person behind me facing me, talking to the man sitting facing away from me behind me, say to his friend, are you watching Winning Time? Like almost in an echo. So I turn yeah. around, then he and I go on talking about it because the people we're trying to convince. But it's Winning got that same real. magic. It's just, it's just up in the air. People are talking about it. It is. Yeah, it's real interesting because it is stylistically different from most TV shows. Hmm. Just the way it's made, the mm-hmm. cinematography, the occasional use of animation or... Uh, Breaking you know, the fourth the, wall, turning and talking to the camera. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, the, I, just the oh, whole combination of it is... <laughs> Really, un- <laughs> is really unusual, and uh, and boy, I wasn't sure I was gonna like it the first episode in. Mm-hmm. But man, I I really enjoy it. So good. Uh, Are you watching the after conversation that they have? There's a no. like a three minute after conversation where one of the people who was on the Lakers in the '90s hosts this conversation with the actors and with the with the writer. So it gives oh, you just a little bit of insight, just a just yep. a touch, um, and uh, well, you, you know, you know, it's not a bad thing to talk about television shows that are in the public's headspace while we talk about politics in the current environment, because without television shows and certainly reality television shows and the scourge of television that reality TV <laughs> is, we would not have the situation that we find ourselves in society. Now, now that's probably maybe a bit too close. Maybe whatever cultural moment we're in, sort of this 
a bad version of a postmodern world, has produced both reality television, other kinds of quality television as well, and also the political context that gave us a reality TV star, um, you know, fake character. Uh, as a <laughs> and, then, and then all the people who've just continued to play politics like you're mm -hmm. watching fill-in-the-blank television show. Yeah. Um, you know, especially uh, reality TV shows, whether they're the game show varieties or the or the human drama ones. That yeah, are... It really does seem to be a game for for a lot of these people. And speaking of the you know, twice impeached, failed president, uh, he just won't stay out of the news. Won't stay out of our brains. Uh, he was held in contempt uh, by New York's Attorney General. Wow! No surprise. He just didn't comply with anything. Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah he's under an investigation by um, Letitia James, who's the Attorney General of New York State, um, and looking into a wide variety of things, including business dealings and the way the Trump Foundation um, was organized and operated, and you know some of Michael Cohen's um, allegations against the president. and And this comes as big news because it seems like the the former president had had gotten. You know, I won a bit of a political victory where, you know, he had not, uh, it was, there had been decisions not to move forward with indictment and certain, and I yeah. can't remember, I can't remember, I think that was in the Southern District of New York, uh, the federal yeah. um, attorney there, the U.S. attorney there, um, you know, the guy from Billions, um, you know, to <laughs> keep on yeah, with our TV yeah. show. Uh, yeah, they're, they're actually uh, real people theme, sometimes, those TV um, shows, based yeah, on real characters. So, um, <clears throat> life imitating uh, art yeah so he, he, the, there were resignations from that office because there were decisions not to move forward with indicting the president the former president and this is interesting because uh it kind of brings back to the forefront um you know the the reminder that the former president you know remains in legal jeopardy. Now, I know, Doug, your position is, is that we're not going to, you know, Donald Trump's not going to end up in jail. It wouldn't be good for the country. It's just not what we do. Yep. Uh, but it is interesting to see that there is some recourse for their failure to comply with the subpoena. So he's now, there's documents that they refuse to turn over that they're now uh, fining Trump's $10,000 a day. Now, listen, uh, Donald Trump has gotten away with not paying his debts so often <laughs> from yeah. construction to, you know, construction workers to contract. I mean, lawyers over and over and over and over. Come on. When was the last time Rudy Giuliani cashed a check, you know, from Donald Trump? <laughs> it, like, it just hasn't. The guy does not pay his bills. Yeah, Trisha in Very. the chat says he's going to get away with it. He said he doesn't have the documents, and I don't see how they can prove that he does. He yeah. just seems to, yeah, not comply, just yep. go about yeah. his business. And I don't But there are some so. things you, you can get away with say. not paying, and then there are yes. court-ordered yeah. fines that... They just take the money. Like if you don't, yeah. it's unlike other lawsuits. If you don't pay an IRS fine or a state tax fine or something like this, they have the legal authority to seize your assets. They will seize his assets on this. Mm -hmm. And 
um, probably, thank you, probably the best outcome we're ever going to see on any of this stuff is that Trump is, is somehow financially penalized across the board and is limited from doing certain things. So, yeah. so those rights, so his rights will be taken from him. When you take, when the, when the government finds you and you voluntarily pay money or they come and seize it from you. That's your rights being taken from you, right? That's that's the power the government has to limit your rights, the right of possessions and specific possessions. They can take those. So while he probably will not end up in jail for any of the things that he's done, because, again, I just think we don't have the wherewithal or the structure in our country to do this to a former president, his rights are going to be limited. I think he's, he's even, you know, might not even be able to hold public office again if certain things happen right. in Congress. So there's just yeah. certain things, yeah. and that's yeah. just as far as we're going to go. We live in a world where not everyone is treated the same way, and once someone becomes the elected president of the United States, the, the free and fair elected president of the United States, there's just a certain set of, of realities that come with that, and um, uh, that, that includes him not ever having a placard with a convict number in front of his face uh, held, held up under his chin. Now, Trump and his team, not the only you know, folks in you know, the, the MAGA universe mm-hmm. that uh, have been in court um, this week. Did you watch any of the Marjorie Taylor Greene um, trial at all? Uh, so Marjorie Taylor Greene is, um, is um, there, there's been a lawsuit that's been brought that says that she's not eligible to run for re-election as a congresswoman from Georgia, Georgia 14, because she is a traitor to the country. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> so it's, a, it's a fantastic uh, lawsuit in the kind that they should be filing. That's tremendous. Yeah, because of because of her involvement in you know the January 6th insurrection, um, she has uh, violated her oath of office, violated the Constitution, and uh, and is ineligible to serve in the House of Representatives. Uh, that is what the lawsuit is is alleging. And she took the stand last week and testified um, under oath and said she didn't remember. Oh, lots and lots and lots, <laughs> lots and of lots things. Of times. Yeah. Um, Pretty terrible memory. Yeah, I mean yeah. that. Like, it's a bit concerning. Like, we need to like get Marjorie Taylor Greene some, you know, Prevagen or something yes. like to, to help She's out with this. Her fish oil. I, yeah. So, I mean, what was you know what was amusing over and over, and I I actually got sucked into this, and uh, I was on Twitter. Is that still a thing we do? Uh, I was on Twitter and, uh, you know, there was a headline. I was checking the what was trending and there it was. And I clicked on it and it was showing it live. And I ended up, you know, watching uh-huh. more of this than yeah. I how, how did she really comport herself? Have. Did she comport herself well? Was she uh, no, somebody believable? No. no. A serious no, character her, to be her, representing the good people of North Carolina? No. South Carolina? No. Georgia? Georgia? Georgia. Georgia. Um, yeah, so she was um, combative, dismissive, like clearly. I any, anybody who has parented a child, like maybe anybody who's parented a teenager, knows. And I mean, anybody who's been a teenager, if you think back on it honestly, 
you know that there are those times of like, it's just, it's a stalemate. It's a, there's contempt. There's, I'm answering you. I'm doing what you ask. I'm putting up with this, but like my heart's not in it. And (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm, you know, not so secretly reviling you on the inside. All of those kind of vibes were coming out. Um, and yeah, I mean, there were, there were two, two really strange things that also happened uh, during this trial. One was uh, Congressman Matt Gates was there. Really? A little cameo, a little pop in sitting in the first row, <laughs> apparently wearing a bulletproof vest. Oh, is he going to the border? What's what's he doing? He's traveling down there where he needs to have that little protection on him and feel like, boy, I'm afraid. Yeah, that was a weird thing. The other thing is that the uh, the court reporter and uh, I, I, when I hear when I think court reporter, I think you know that little. Uh, I saw you posted the this special yeah. typewriter. Yeah, yeah that's the special typewriter thing. Those Apparently, are all the court reporters now. Some court reporters now yes. talk into a you know, what looks like a vacuum hose yes. stuck on their face. And this just seems so strange to me. I understand the I'm listening and I'm typing what I'm hearing. I don't quite get the I'm listening and I'm speaking again what I'm hearing. Why not just record it in the first place? <laughs> it's uh, I, I it, it was a very strange thing that I, you know, posted on Twitter and Facebook and you know, lots of people made fun of me for yes. not knowing for, for not knowing the modern the modern way that we that transcriptions happen that, in, that's in legal the best proceedings. Thing we can yeah. come up with <laughs> that's that's how it works. Yeah. So, but Marjorie Taylor Greene repeatedly caught in lies. Things like, "Hey, Marjorie, did you say this about Nancy Pelosi?" I don't remember. Well, here, let's watch the tape. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> because so much of what she has said and done, um, it, you know, is out there on Twitter and. Yep. Uh, in, in even claiming that she doesn't have a Twitter account anymore, and then you know she posted on Twitter the next day, uh, <laughs> you know, like it's just and it, and, it, and where does this stand? Is this is this a this le- lawsuit? Yeah, is it a legitimate lawsuit? Is there anything that's going to come from this, or is it just going to well, be another one of the you know made for Twitter dramas that these people yeah. all run around in, and nothing yeah. ever like it just falls apart and goes away? Do you think that's it, or do you yeah. think there's really something I, in this one? Do either of you ever in your lives remember a congressperson having to like defend their their right to run again because of a constitutional challenge? I, I, I is, wonder. I, I mean, there must be some level of case law that they look at to even yeah. make a lawsuit like to get to the point that this lawsuit is before a judge and she's been she's been summoned and put under oath and and choosing to you know respond in a legal environment says there's something here there's something more than yeah. just i mean look most anybody can file a lawsuit against someone for things whether a court takes that up if it's something beyond conciliation court that's another level and the fact that she's she's in front of these people yeah, that that in and of itself is a, a thing. And look, this is precursor for Trump, don't you think? I do. If they can get her, if they can have a ruling that makes her behavior and her words disqualifying her from being uh, able to run for federal office, the implications are not just that Marjorie Taylor Greene goes on and gets a TV show on OAN. The implications are that Donald Trump will also be. Um, uh, 
yeah. pursued in very similar, very similar fashion. If that's not already happening, and that very well could already be happening, you know, at the at the at the house level. Yep. And I, you know, n- I don't think anything is going to come from this. I don't think she, I don't think huh. she's going to be ruled ineligible to run again. But just the do you think that of, Rob? Do you think that because you don't think we should that there are things people there are not things people can do that should make them ineligible to run? Oh like, no! Leave it to the voters. I, I or do you totally think they just think can't get her on this? Like I she's totally not close think enough she's guilty and think that you know she and Matt Gates and Paul Gosser and a whole bunch of other folks, Madison Cawthorn, mm-hmm. are have violated these very laws, these very um, elements of the constitution that are in place to protect our country from, Mm -hmm. um, you know, those who would undermine elections and the, the peaceful transfer of power. All of this comes as a result of the civil war and, you know, kind of figuring out like how we're going to go forward after that. (laughs) And there's this basic sense that, Hey, if you're going to serve in Congress, um, you know, you're gonna, you know, support the country. Yeah, bare well, minimum. And I mean, don't and I d- try I, to I, overthrow <laughs> the government. And I guess I don't know my history well enough. Why? How were senators and Congress people who were supportive of the lost cause Civil War effort from the Rebel South? How were they allowed? To continue to run for election at the federal level, and then ultimately some of those people became, you know, became president and so on. Do, do you know, like, if was that not determined as a act of treason? Like, did we not consider did, legally? Is the was the South leaving, trying to leave yeah. the Union and fighting a war over it, not considered an act a treasonous act? Is that what we've? Well, it, it was. I mean, I, there were a number of folks that were expelled from Congress as a result of, of uh, huh. their support of the Confederacy. Okay. I think there was, I, and, and again, I am not a Civil War historian, so someone, mm-hmm. you know, can follow, you know, who's following along could correct me on this. My guess is, is that there was a attitude of reconciliation after the fact and a desire to, um, mm-hmm. you know, provide some amnesty to provide some, um, some some cover for the good of you know the country. It was you know the winners being bigger people and welcoming yeah. those back in. Yeah. So, but that worked, anyways, worked this out is, really well. Yeah, it's just, right. <laughs> glad we glad we got that monkey off our back and we shaking that all <laughs> yeah, off. And moving, moving straight forward. We just, we just, it's just time to move on. Let's it's just, just give these guys a pass a do over. Just time to just time to move forward. Well, Bar- Barbara Ashley, or, or, I'm sorry, but Barbara Michael says that we should follow Heather Cox Richardson. Who, if you don't already follow Heather Cox Richardson, she puts out a. Uh, like weekly or maybe more times than that email newsletter and she's a great historian about these things and uh, actually Barbara that's what had me thinking like I feel like I read something from her about that and um, it's she's somebody really worth worth following so you know let, let our little dazzling conversation here of you know interest wrapped in ignorance uh, lead you to somebody who might actually know uh, all this stuff because it's a little shocking that we don't know right like the things we know about who can run like where can you live and how much money can you raise and who can give you more than $2,900 and all of that people know but hey if you like 
say that you don't want to certify the election and you want people to storm the Capitol in order to stop it from happening, does that prevent you from being a president again or a congressperson? That that doesn't seem settled in the American psyche? That's no. its own That's yeah. its own yeah. problem. Listen, let me ask you this. Um, how would you feel if all of your text messages were published for everybody to read? Does that scare you a little bit? Does that, I mean, I'm in... I'm in, uh, you know, group text circles with both of you, and yeah. uh, you know, I'm like, like think of through what dirt well, does Rob have on me? Yeah, <laughs> let's let's try. I, I I think what would happen is that people would would ultimately conclude that guy thinks he's funny and he's really not, <laughs> and that would be crushing. And uh, I just I, I would I couldn't survive it. Um, yeah, I couldn't survive. Yeah. I don't think I have. I, I don't know. I've wondered about that kind of thing. Like, do, yeah. Cause you know, you just think, well, everybody has things that if someone got a hold of your phone, there's not a naked picture on my phone. There's not a, there's not a DP or anything. None of this stuff. Like these people that are like, everyone does it. Well, it's everyone less one, maybe two. <laughs> I, I don't think, I, I don't know. I, I just, you know, there might be an embarrassing moment where like, you know, you shoot a text like, my gosh, this meeting couldn't be any more boring. But I don't know. I'm just not, ooh, ooh, I'm just not ooh. riddled. Uh, That's what me and Rob text each yeah, other yeah, during I can our really meetings. Yeah, yeah. Or oh, during this. So, uh, yeah, I, I, no, I don't think I would be professional. I don't think I would be professionally worried if someone looked uh, at, at my phone overall. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, and I'm not, look, I'm not trying to say, you know, that I'm the, the highest level of moral uh, accomplishment, yeah. but come on, it doesn't, people, you know, wherever that spectrum is, you know, uh, uh, you know, from Anthony Weiner to, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever was on Hillary name. Clinton's uh, email yeah. server uh, to like, I just, I don't know. Um, uh, how how do you feel about you, having yours yours looked at? Would you would that be do uh, that be disconcerting? I, I think any time you know that there's kind of an invasion of privacy that's that's disconcerting. I I think I'm with you, Doug. I think I would probably have some awkward you know situations with some individuals that maybe I had yeah you know said something unkind yeah. about or sarcastic about, um, you know, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but I don't think there'd be anything, you know, professionally damning or yeah, the type yeah. of thing that would get me, like, you know, mildly cringy. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, it would be totally cringy, but like not, I don't know, yeah. planning the overthrow yeah. of the government. <laughs> right. How do you, uh, how do you, how do you think Mark Meadows is feeling today? So, so this is the week <laughs> Mark Meadows has had because Mark Meadows, former congressman from North Carolina, who um, also um, became Trump's chief of staff uh, and a key figure in the, uh, you know, the insurrection and its planning. Was it last week that Mark Meadows' uh, voter registration was? <laughs> Uh, was pulled because he voted registered. Illegally. Yeah, he was registered to vote in like seven different places or something. Yeah. So, well, you know, this is how these hey, guys know that there's uh, funny business going on because they yeah. do it all voter the time. Fraud. They're yeah. like, I commit yeah. voter fraud all the time. Of course, there's voter fraud. Everybody I guarantee does you it. there's voter fraud going on. Listen, Mark Meadows, <laughs> everybody is registered 100 districts. places. 
and everybody yeah. has things to hide in their text messages. <laughs> yeah. you- so in addition to losing his, his ability to vote, Mark Meadows has also uh, lost his privacy and his, uh, his text, thousands and thousands of text messages released in the new book um, showing um, Congress people, administration members, family members, uh, Fox News hosts, all Spouses of Supreme Court justices. Yep. Yep. Now, that's uh, some of that is the fact that, you know, we do what we do, and Mark Meadows was the chief of staff. I guess if I were ever a chief of staff to a president of the United States, I probably wouldn't want my text messages rolling around. I <laughs> <Think about laughs> just, all this might have something to do with what, you know, what I've had on my to-do list. Um, what level of, and, and yeah. yeah. So one of the things that, that tying this into the Marjorie Taylor Greene question uh, and conversation, one of the things she was asked about was if she had ever um, encouraged mm-hmm. the president to um, um, enact martial law. Uh, And she said under oath that she did not. However, um, she texted Mark Meadows, chief of staff of the president, which is, you know, for anybody who watches the West Wing, you know, like, you know, uh, the chief of staff is the second most powerful person, you know, in the world, um, more so than the vice president and, you know, all that. Uh, she texts Mark Meadows encouraging the president to uh, enact martial law. Uh, two things about this. Well, three things. One, she lied under oath. Two, she spelled martial wrong. She spelled it M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, which is the last name of my best friend. Yeah. And uh, I find kind of hilarious. Uh, not the way it's spelled when you're invoking martial law. Yeah. The third thing is the date. She didn't send this on January 5th. She did not want the president to invoke martial law on January 5th, on January 6th. This was January 17th, three days before the inauguration. What was that about? She was elected. after an insurrection attempt. Oh, she yeah. was saying, before you leave office, invoke martial law and say you're not leaving office. She, she was trying to get him to stay in office, is what you mean. Yes. It wasn't around uh, violence happening in some of our cities, or it wasn't oh. around uh, seizing voting machines so that there could be a count made of them. You're saying, after all of that had been adjudicated, days before he's going to leave. She's like, hey, one last chance. Do you think he could like invoke martial <laughs> yeah. law? Because I could call Marshall and he could come over and say this is now the law and just stay president of the United States. You know, what's yeah. confusing about her, um, uh, I think uh, Trisha put in the, in the chat here, that she was also going around saying to people, you should enter the Capitol building because it's yours. She yes. comes from that group of Republicans that Act as if, you know, the all the property of the federal government belongs to every citizen and no one should tell you what to do with it. You should just be able to go into Nancy Pelosi's office and sit down. Yet on the other hand, she's saying to the president, you should take over and put federal law in place across the United States <laughs> to usurp people's freedoms. This is yeah. just the this is what's confusing, right, about folks like this is that you yeah. you don't know if they're on the libertarian, free, get the heel of the government off my back, or hey, before you leave office, why don't you just take over and stay in office crowd. Yeah. And it's well, not a I, spectrum you know, that people are on. It's it's this 
weird bouncing around between different views, which makes it very hard to level any critique against folks like this other than to just say, I don't think they're serious people about all of this. Like I would imagine Mark Meadows is saying to himself, I, I can't deal with text messages now, f- you know, three days before this administration ends from this congressperson trying to tell me, you know, that we should invoke martial law for the whatever fourth time in the United States history. And the my pillow guy doing the same thing. Did you read those? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How the my pillow guy got so deep in this? Well, will what's never so sad not is, you know, funny to me. He's a he's a local he's a local guy done good from Minnesota too. That's what's really heartbreaking. For a yeah. long time, we were all like, "Hey, that pillow, really great." Sure, you're picking it up at the mall at a kiosk, but really, it's made right up the road. The thing I slept on a my pillow for years. It was a heck of a pillow. <laughs> so among the fact that this guy wants to oversee, you know, the, the ruin of democracy, it also really ruined a really great pillow for, for an awful, for an awful <laughs> lot of people. And that's, you know, that's, that's its yeah. own tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got, we've got Marjorie Taylor Greene texting about martial law. We've got Rick Perry, former governor of Texas, former ed, uh, energy secretary. What was that? What was that? Yeah, what did he want to get rid of? What what were the agencies uh, uh, he wanted to get rid of? Uh, 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 the one he couldn't remember was yeah. the energy department that he became, became the director yeah. of. Didn't even remember it. Existed. That was no accident okay. either. They're like, that babe, one. put uh, that guy in charge of the one that he couldn't the remember. The thing about Rick Perry was like, he's like, no, I didn't, I didn't text him. He and, did not. Yes. And then they're like, clearly. well, you signed your name and left your phone number. <laughs> As Perry. <laughs> Turns out you did. Like what, you from another you, phone number not registered to him. He borrowed someone's phone and Well, this is what I'm gonna say. You know what you do when you sign a text and put a phone number? That means you're using a burner phone, right? Like that so the person knows who you are. I um, I didn't know that, but now I do. Wouldn't that be the case? But uh, but if you're using a burner phone, why would you sign your <laughs> name? I don't know. Is this an yeah, use your code name? name? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> to, totally, my pillow guy. That's what you're right. Uh, here, here's what I think is happening, and, and this is what makes all this so confusing. Almost every government official, especially federal government official, is required by law to keep track of all communications that they participate in in their in their duties. And because now we have cell phones, all of those people carry multiple phones. So it might be that someone he's messaging from his government phone knows who that is, but he's got this other private phone or sometimes even two other private phones, one that he might use for sort of other businessy stuff and then one for family. People do this stuff all the time, not, not just scheming, scamming insurrectionists, but that's what's got them now into all this trouble because now what the government's saying is we need to see that official government phone because it's actually our property and every word you've typed on there is open for open records requests and we will see all of those. You don't even have to... I mean, unless you're claiming some executive privilege, we just get it. Those other phones, those are the ones that people are always running a little funny business with and swapping them out and not keeping them long or using someone else's and now it becomes an aide. And they're doing this stuff all the time because there's so much communication that goes on, both in text messages and in these other apps and so on, that... 
and I don't think it's just Republicans that are doing this. I think many, oh, no. many officials uh, and people working, sometimes and for very good reasons, they're trying to keep track of things. They want to have one conversation be under government purview, and they want another one not to be. And I know a lot of government officials that have even said in all these days, they'll say, look, here's what we've had to do. A conversation that I'm having on a personal level with someone that I work with changes to a work conversation, I have to say, let's stop here and switch over to the other phones, right? <laughs> That's a lot of work. Most people don't do that, though. They just keep going, you know, or they take the phone call and then they it shows up on a call record and they're supposed to report it and they don't want to. This is going to open up because the, 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 the January 6th committee is gaining access to all this and they've already got the phone companies giving them access. The stuff they are seeing is... Just there is a there is a wealth of information that uh, yeah. you're going to end up with a whole lot of new precedent built out of all this. That's going to be yeah. that's going to be yeah. super interesting going going forward. Yeah, a yeah. lot of stuff and, coming to light. Yeah, um, exactly. One, I mean, we're seeing. You know, we'll talk about Kevin McCarthy here in a second, but you know, there's there's reports that Mitch McConnell was elated that uh, it, you know and and relieved by what was happening on January 6 because it it meant the he thought it meant the end of Trump yeah. and you know he was finally going to be rid of him i mean just the hypocrisy of these folks and and their like their willingness to set values aside for you know the opportunity to stay in power is just remarkable and mm-hmm. Kevin McCarthy's a big part of that you know he his, the accusation has been made that he um um you know, encouraged the president, the former president to resign as a result of, you know, what happened on January 6th and the president, the former president's uh, encouragement and provocation of it. Um, Kevin McCarthy came out with a very strong denial saying, no, 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 no. It was, you know, the New York Times is making this up because, you know, liberals are trying to get me and, you know, blah, 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 all the same stuff. And then, A recording comes out, a recording of a conversation that he had with Liz Cheney. Now, this is weird to me. Who records this? Liz Cheney has said that she did not record it. Well, it wasn't just her. It was the whole leadership. It was the leadership. Yeah, it was the leadership team. Okay. So somebody records this and leaks Mm. it to the New York (laughs) Times. Um, Is that that another congressperson? Is that a staffer? Like, but like that is, this is like, this is dirty. So leaks it to New York Times where McCarthy is talking to Liz Cheney saying, and you know, in this leadership call with Republican leadership of the House saying, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to him about about resigning, and you know, I think that's what he ought to do. I'm gonna talk to him about it now. McCarthy's you know word salad and you know well verbal gymnastics I should say that he's doing is basically saying I didn't talk to the president about resigning. Yeah, he told Liz Cheney he was going to, (laughs) belying the fact that that's probably what he genuinely believes and thought would have been the best thing. But he didn't have the guts to actually do it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, and the the problem facing all this is that you see one version of McCarthy in the days just after the insurrection. And then things change. And and when you when you listen closely to what he said in the call, he said, look, here's what I think is going to happen. I think the House is going to pass an impeachment. And I think it's quite possible that the Senate is going to confirm that. And if they do, 
it's better for the president to resign than to be removed from office. So I'm going to tell him that. I'm going to talk to him about that. Now, what happened, and look, I am no McCarthy defender, but what happened between that call and when McCarthy ever talked again to the president is he began to realize the Senate is not going to remove him from office. So the set of conditions had changed. He can't come right out and say that, say like, hey, look, yeah, if, he, if the guy was facing impeachment, I would have given him the advice to resign because it's just, it's just keeping your, your honor in some way that you're not being dragged out of office. And I think that he should have because he basically what he in, in, intimates in this call is I think that's what should happen. Right. He's not yeah. bemoaning it. He's like, these are the natural consequences. This is how I think it's going to go. Yeah. And is, it probably should go that way. He's envisioning himself in the Barry Goldwater role. Totally. Making that walk from the Capitol to the White House to sit down and like Barry Goldwater did with Nixon and say, hey, we don't have the votes. You're going to lose this thing. You're going to lose. And. And so, you know, it's better to resign. So, so, so he's not so in himself his, in that role. So in his mind, he's not lying because he's saying, yeah. I, but he can't come right out and say this because to say it, then someone would ask, so then you did believe that it would have been the right thing for the Senate to have done, right? Because he, he can hear himself supporting the idea that the Senate should have done something that, as it turns out, the Senate didn't do. But yeah. what's funny about it is he even knew that the Senate wouldn't be have impeachment hearings until after Trump was out of office, right? So everything for McCarthy was simply calculating what's going to make things look best for Donald Trump. But when you really listen to what he was doing, it wasn't what's best for the country. It wasn't what's best for his party even. It's what's best for Trump. If Trump's going to end up being convicted by the Senate, even though he's out of office, well, Let's do what we can to protect him from that. So in that conversation about January 6th and the response from the Republican leadership, McCarthy's response is, what's best for Trump? It's just this guy's inability to do anything but put his own future political uh, success in view is just nutty because the only reason he wants Trump to be safe and saved and be on his side is because he wants all the money. And again, the thing people have to remember is the RNC agreed with the Trump campaign to merge mailing lists in 2016. Rance Priebus did this. And when they did, Trump Incorporated took over the email list and the fundraisers in perpetuity from the RNC. So the reason Trump has all this money is because he has access to the donors and he has access to the donor records and to all the emails and they continue to and it continues to work that way. So the reason McCarthy is freaked out is he knows that if he moves against Trump and this is true of any Republican, if Donald Trump decides you're not my person, I don't want you, they cut them off not from Donald Trump's endorsement on some discord channel or on some new social media or on Elon Musk's little internet project. It's that they don't get access to the contact list of the RNC. So this is fundamentally what all of this is about top to bottom. It's not about Trump's policies. It's not about make America great again. It's about you literally can't function the Republican Party without access to that database. And it's owned and operated by the Trump Incorporated. And I think, you know, I, I think there's one other element in play here with McCarthy. And it is the 
it, it is the bizarro world kind of situation. But there are more than just rumors. I mean, there like there there is like there is conversation about who the next speaker of the house is going to be. Yeah. And, you know, folks, you know, Kevin McCarthy is poised with, you know, the sense that Republicans are going to retake the house in November. He's going to be the next speaker of the house. Um, you know, folks just to, you know, remember, uh, you don't have to be a house uh, member to yeah. be speaker of the house. You think Donald Trump's going to become the speaker of the house and is going to call impeachment I, on Joe Biden, I don't think you? that Kevin McCarthy does not <laughs> want to give Donald Trump any, uh, like, personal vindictive reason to want to take him out. And I think that – so Kevin McCarthy right now is really, really groveling because um, his chance at becoming speaker, you know – might be undone by this secret recording if Trump reacts badly. Like, that's McCarthy's calculation. If Trump reacts badly yes. to this, you know, he thinks I'm talking behind his back. He thinks I'm trying to undermine him. We know that Trump is, like, completely unstable with these kinds of things and the conspiracy theories, and he latches on to something. I mean, you just think about, like, how The Apprentice played out, you know, yeah. that TV, like, if you ever watched it, like, it's... It, tags into something and, you know, and that's it. And McCarthy is picturing himself, you know, sitting at the table and Trump saying, Hey, Kevin, you know, I understand all this stuff that you did for me, but you did have that conversation (laughs) too bad for you that the tape came out. You're fired. And you know, he's done and he's seeing he, that scenario is playing in his head and he's trying to figure out how do I hold on to my speakership and, you know, keep Trump from coming and taking it from me. Yeah. Well, I think he nailed that one. And and look, Trump's already said he doesn't hold any of this against McCarthy. He's already yeah. said deck is cleared. In fact, he over the weekend, the former failed uh, steak salesman and Thai uh, uh, pitcher <laughs> was and and college president <laughs> college pre- oh, was, that was uh, in Ohio. And when he was introducing J.D. Vance, um, the yeah. the author and uh, television. Uh, um, and movie scriptwriter, he said about J.D. Vance, this guy said some really bad shit about me, and uh, but I don't hold it against him because who would I endorse? Everyone said things, and then Trump said this, but then they all came home. Weirdly, Trump's favorite thing is for someone to be against him and then yeah. to come back to him because then he's like, yeah. I broke your Groveling. knee. Yeah. Now I've got, like, if you always liked me, well, that's on you. If you didn't like me and I broke you, that's on me. Oh, yeah. So that's what's going on in his head. So in some weird way, McCarthy's in better shape because even if he moved against him and then came back and said, but, you know, I, I've, I've really reconsidered. And if I could, you know, please have your forgiveness and, and your blessing going forward, then, then he's going to get it. And that's what's going on. It's just so, so bizarre. I think you. I think you're spot on with that. Have you? Did you see the clip of the uh, Pennsylvania Senate uh, Republican debate that uh, took place last night? No, with us. Maybe, maybe you might have. I think I saw it on Twitter. Are, is that still a thing we're doing? Is anybody uh, even on that anymore? And why would you use a privately owned little like website? Weird. Uh, so, um, so, is it more like a blog a now? Is it like the Elon Musk it, blog? Is that kind of what it is? And I, I, yeah, don't, I, I don't even know what like it that. is anymore. Uh, so, 
I saw this clip. It was all of the, the, the Senate, the Republicans that are running for the United States Senate in Pennsylvania, including Dr. Oz, who is the Trump endorsed oh, candidate. Yeah. And it was all the clips of them uh, invoking the name of Donald Trump or the Trump administration. And it is disheartening because they are all groveling. Mm-hmm. And this sense of like, you know, um, you know, the Republican Party, you know, might be able to, you know, as you know, to use a phrase that we use with our kids, go outside and get the stink blowed off you. Um, you know, yeah. no. the stink of the Republic uh, of the Trump administration is not getting blown off of the Republican Party. They're actually, you know, like a dog in the yard rolling around in it, trying to get as much of it yeah. on everywhere possible. And and this clip, you know, was, you know, the Senate debate in, in Pennsylvania shows that. And, you know, we see that with McCarthy. We see it playing out in all of these places. And it's so disheartening. gross. Yeah, it's just it really like, is. Does no one have any self-worth, any spine? Like the grossest one for me was Ted Cruz when he came back oh, yeah. after Donald Trump, like, made fun of his wife. Yeah. And then Ted Cruz comes back around, like. And accused Ted Cruz's oh. father of assassinating. Yeah. Just like- <laughs> yeah, look, this guy is. And um, one of the things that Republicans are facing right now, and and I don't think Republicans should you know, hold federal office for the next 10 years until they've really thought this all through again. <laughs> it's clearly not going to happen. Go to their t- room and thought about but, what they've done. <laughs> but, but, but we do need a robust Republican party that's healthy and good for the country. We can't keep going on with this, this crowd. So people have to fix this, but they're doing this funny thing where what they're trying to say is I want Trumpism without the guy because he was like, a. it's the opposite of what happens with a lot of other politicians where you're like, I don't, I don't agree with all of his policies, but I really think that that person represented something. A lot of you know Democrats talk about this with you know, John Kennedy and with Barack Obama. Republicans talk about it with Ronald Reagan. And then Ronald Reagan, Republicans talk about it. And then they really like Ronald Reagan. And they'll disagree with some policies here and there, but they're like, but the mm-hmm. person embodies what I am all about. With Trump, it's the opposite. You hear it parsed out all the time in the primaries. People trying to say, I'm not with him, like, you know, the Hillary Clinton, I'm with her, but I'm with his policies that he, that have always represented me and us. Mm -hmm. And he's been part of our policy thing going on. And this is going to be the question. Will voters let people get away with this? Because after the primaries, once... And, and I just heard about this really great book and a, a, a person who was articulating this very well, that the use of the party uh, primary system is the problem in modern day politics. Take out money, take out just all the other issues. And the problem is that we're using a party system that rewards a teeny group of people all the power to select who our representatives are going to be. And so there's people proposing some changes to it. And I didn't know the history of how we got to primaries. 
very intriguing, uh, right, about how they... You, some people say, well, we got there because we didn't want the party bosses picking and we wanted to let the individuals pick. That wasn't it at all. It was just the opposite of that. People were like, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way to ramrod this system and, and I'm going to use the, the primaries to do it. So there's some real issues that the Republicans especially have to face. Democrats, of course, do as well. But th- this is what's facing our political our political construct at the moment. And, um, you know, wh- where we turn to for authority is is a huge, huge question. And, you know, for a lot of times people turn to um, uh, a website called Twitter.com. And that was their uh, that that was their salvation for uh, for understanding a primary news gathering service. Look, I've been on Twitter since I, I don't know really early. I I, yeah, I can't I I got a thing the other day about how long I've been on, and I don't know like early, 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 because it's like yeah. one of the social media options that was that was plucking around out there, and you're like, hey, we should probably try this thing. I wonder what this is all about, and is this something interesting, and so on. What it has become is a subset of American culture that's propped up primarily, my, my uh, editorial here, by culture creators and culture observers, media personalities, including the press, and then a bunch of Russian bots. And if you're not in one of those categories, you're trying to influence culture or keep up on cultural happenings reporting on the news or trying to get people to buy cryptocurrency through a bot, if you took all of that away, what you would end up with on Twitter are, you know, 7 million business people that have an account that they haven't tweeted on in four years. So LinkedIn. So what do we do about this? Because now Elon Musk is going to own it and do what he wants with it. And it should then be, oh, now we know how Twitter ends, right? The, the answer to the question, what's the meaning of Elon Musk buying Twitter is, well, now we know the ending of Twitter, that this should be the end of it. But I don't think media and culture creators and certainly press have an alternative to allow them to keep doing their lazy journalism that they use when they use Twitter to, to do their reporting. It just, that any editor lets somebody, and my Apple news feed is full of these stories, where the news story is someone's tweet yeah. or what five people said in response to some cultural happening, that that's a news story. So look, I, I'm not trying to blame the media for this. I'm just saying journalists need to find other outlets for gaining access than Twitter because it is over with now that Elon Musk <laughs> owns it. Because Elon Musk has a single goal to commodify and make sellable everything. That's what this is all about. That's why he's a cryptocurrency guy. That's why he wants to own Twitter. He believes that all of this can be used for people to start to turn, make a digital wallet and then start to fill your digital wallet and spend from your digital wallet across the internet so that the internet primarily and functionally becomes the financial, the financial case, financialification of everything. And, uh, that it, that, that it creates a new economy that can work outside of the, uh, of the other reward systems. And, and it's, as this article says, his solution, he's masquerading a solution that's really just a big problem. 
Uh, I'm really ramped up so, on this whole this whole uh, oh, this, this whole cryptocurrency <laughs> NFTs and Twitter thing because they are three strands of the same cord, and it's like it's like an awakening happened to me over the weekend watching uh, a particular YouTube video <laughs> and listening to a podcast. So I'm one of those guys yeah, that like, I, uh, hey, I'm an expert I, on yeah. this because I listen to a two hour uh, a one hour podcast yeah. and a two hour oh, you uh, YouTube video. Yeah. Listen, and I mean just to circle back to what we've talked about, um, I'm in group text with you, Doug. I know that. Uh, I know. So listen, I, 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 I want to look at this thing from a little bit different angle. Um, you know, uh, 150 years ago, whatever it is, um, hundred years ago, like it, we've got this sense that, you know, American expansion and in a lot of ways, kind of the industrial revolution was built on, um, was was built through the labor of people working for a handful of tycoons, oligarchs, um, who um, were able to make a lot of money through the um, through the creation of the infrastructure that powered the American economy and its growth. As the new economy was was coming into place, the Industrial Revolution was happening, there were oil tycoons, there were railroad tycoons, mm -hmm. there were these individuals who were able to capitalize on that, you know, whether it was steel or coal or whatever, they made loads and loads and loads and loads of money by being there and owning and operating the infrastructure creation of the new economy. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, something very similar is happening now that what we've got is uh, a set of tech oligarchs, tech tycoons uh, who are um, owning the infrastructure of the new economy and getting, you know, richer than anyone has ever been. Um, as a result of that, and whether it's Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or, you know, uh, Bill Gates, Jack Dorsey, uh, you know, like on and on and on we can go. Um, and, you know, what I, I think there's some real similarities. Now, what these folks come with is a very strong libertarian streak of don't regulate us. Let us let us take care of this. Let it, we can handle this. Let the market just. It's a very laissez-faire libertarian approach, and you know Elon Musk is even bringing you know posturing that with saying I'm going to make you know Twitter you know free speech again. Um, you know he's posturing that. Uh, what ended up happening as a result of these tycoons owning everything is it led to you know a progressive uh, approach to things where, you know, regulation was, was um, in place. Companies, monopolies were broken up. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, there were, there were needed regulations that happened. There was concern for the environment. There was um, the opportunity to, you know, put labor uh, protections in place, unions, all of these things came in response to, a handful of oligarchs owning the infrastructure of our economic growth. And I think 
hopefully, if history is repeating itself. Like the, the silver lining on all of this is, you know, will there be some response that breaks this stuff up for the good of all people? I mean, Google has an 85% market share, 85% market share. We have never in our nation's history allowed a company to have an 85% market share. That is beyond a monopoly. Mm -hmm. Um, And and yet they do. And so I think if history is repeating itself, I think what we're going to see is that like just like, you know, oil, railroad, steel, you know, AT&T, telephone, all of those all of that stuff had to be broken up and, and there had it had to be redistributed to use a buzzword in in a different way i think the same is going to come with tech yeah well, another yeah, big question I, I, yeah go ahead Dan. uh well i was just going to say i i think you're on to something i think this is the early days of regulating and figuring out what it means to have digital lives and a big piece of this debate is the idea of freedom of speech and what that is and what that means to have freedom of speech on a privately owned platform. Uh, this, this article that I pulled has a great quote. It says, freedom for the wolves has often meant death to the sheep. Uh, this is a point often lost to Americans. Government or large centralized authority is one threat to liberty, but not the only one. When it comes to speech, what has often kept a great many of people from speaking isn't censorship, but the lack of a platform. Social media, including Twitter, came along and promised that change. But when it became a cesspit of hate and harassment for women and people of color in particular, it began to offer a miserable bargain. You can be free to say what you wish, but your life can be made unrelentingly painful if you dare so. That's kind of the crux with this free speech debate on Twitter is people were having their accounts you know, suspended, canceled, not because they were disagreeing with someone politically, but because they were threatening people's lives, spreading misinformation, threatening, you know, insurrection, things like that. Like, it's not about, uh, we just, we need to have honest debate. Now, that's happening. Yeah, that's, that's really well said. And look, fr- free speech is guaranteed that the government shall pass no law to, in- to interfere with your speech. Yeah. Not a privately owned, whether it's owned by Elon Musk or by a dozen stockholders, that a privately owned company has to let you say whatever you want. They don't. That's not freedom of speech. Freedom of speech right. is a government limitation. That's it. That is it. Nothing. Nowhere else in our society should people be running around saying, I have, the fr- I have free speech rights, unless it's saying to your government... You government can't stop me. Your boss can stop you. Your parent can stop you. Your uh, service provider, your internet service provider can stop you. That's not the government. Right. So this, these are not... And free well, speech doesn't protect you from consequences of totally, saying dumb things. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yes, you can say those things. And if you say, hey, I am going to kill you, you have the freedom to say that, and then you've committed a crime. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's against the law for you to not against the law for you to say it against the law for you to say that. So so this is 
all this stuff that somehow Elon Musk is the savior of free speech because he doesn't like the way a private social media accounts are being treated on a social media platform, you couldn't be any more disconnected to free speech than that. That is such a fundamental misunderstanding. Look, if you want to run a website where you don't stop anyone from saying anything, go ahead. There are lots of websites where you can do that. You can just start a website and let people come on and comment and say anything they want. This idea that somehow Twitter is magical or Facebook is magical or Instagram. And so, yeah, I'm with you, Rob, on the idea that like because our digital lives have become so conflated and owned by so few players, the government's probably got to get in there somewhere for sure. The better option for this is for people to make more options. Right. The, the, the response to a monopoly is to be sure that the system is not set where someone can't create competition. Let's find ways to create competition. Look, it's a little shocking that Elon Musk decides to do what? Buy Twitter rather than start a Twitter. Well, that's intriguing. Why, <laughs> why, why is this super inventor? Why is this? And look, I'm all for Elon Musk. I'm glad that he's spending his money on sending rockets up. I'm glad he's working on battery technology. Good. For, I'm glad he created PayPal. Good for Elon Musk. Fantastic. But the idea that somehow he's the big savior of this because he can put together enough financing to want to buy something that he's determined is already valuable. Well, if that's what we're into now is who gets to own the thing. You know what I remember? I remember the good old days of the early 2000s when people weren't saying, how do I buy this social network? But how about if I make a, com a piece of competition to it? So make we've got to better. Yeah. make something better. So with, and the idea that no one can afford to make something better is fundamentally not true. Elon Musk has just shown this. He's decided that Twitter's worth $44 billion. Don't you think that if he had $44 billion, you could come up with something that could be an alternative to Twitter? So why doesn't he want that? Why does he want this rather than that? It's a business proposition that's all looped into a whole other conversation we can have about the fact that the same guy is pitching cryptocurrencies is the reason he wants Twitter in particular. They're not why? unrelated. I uh, I think we should move this conversation over to Twitter. I'm at Rob Ryersey. <laughs> I'm at Paget. At Go Daniel ahead. Dietrich, and we're yeah. yeah we're streaming over there right now. Yeah, we're actually streaming this on Twitter, where, where some guy I think came on here and said, "Stop whining about Twitter if you don't like it." And he's like, "And you're doing this on Twitter, you hypocrites." Yeah, look, because it's a free social network. We do it on Twitch too. We do, we'll do it everywhere. And if Elon Musk makes it uninhabitable, we'll do it over there. Um, I actually had to write Dan the other day and say, hey, what's your Twitter profile? Because I want to tag you on a thing. And I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> so much. I just don't care about. And the oh other, the other thing I want to say is it's kind of interesting and fun that a Tycoon just decided to buy this. Totally. I, I don't know. I love it's, it. I, I love the idea that people are like, Twitter is so impenetrable and Trump was taken off of there and they're trying to make another one. And then the guy's like, I'll just buy that. Can I just put together me and my buddies and we'll just take it over? I mean, talk about showing that it's just so vulnerable and so about nothing other than can the shareholders make a profit now? It's what it's always been about, top to bottom. Stop thinking this is the place where you're actually expressing yourself and finding your your freedoms that uh, are you know given to you by the 
by the creator or evolution and, and supported by our government. As it turns out, Twitter is not the public square. It's really not the public square. And to continue to you know, suggest that, that it's legitimate for Elon Musk to say, oh, I need to protect Twitter as a free speech space because that's the current public square. There are public squares. Like, they don't have to be metaphors. You can go <laughs> and talk to people in public. It's not. It's a, it's, a, it's a service that's paid for by advertisers. And it's great. And if you don't follow us on Twitter yet, uh, please, please consider doing so and share our videos with other people because, uh, you know, it's a place that people like to, like to use their, uh, their, their social equity. But that's and Whether it. they were, I was going to say, whether they're on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or any of the other places where folks might be watching this live, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you. For, and tell a friend. Doing that. Thank you for uh, joining the conversation, Trisha and Barbara and Jim and Lee. And Fenley, who wants us to stop whining and go to Gab, uh, not going to do that. Oh, but I do have my Truth Social account, and I'm going to try to get kicked off this week. Um, <laughs> Barbara, Jackie, Ag, Dave, Mark. Quite a quite a chatty over there today. Yeah, yeah Mark, I'm probably not going to click your link, but thanks yeah, for yeah, yeah, thanks yeah. for listening. I'm, I'm really? Trying to go back. Mark's got a link in there. Yeah, and then yeah, don't click on that. Really? And then there was Christian, (laughs) who very early on, yeah, Mark, we think you're a Russian spammer. Some of these startup homebuyers. No, it's a it's a it's a piano instrumental video from the Gravel Institute. Well, now you have a virus. Ah, No, it's YouTube. (laughs) YouTube, nothing bad can happen on YouTube. What could possibly happen bad over there? Hey, but if you do uh, go on YouTube, look up a YouTube video called The Line Goes Up. Uh, It will uh, rabbit hole you uh, right into, uh, you know, you doing your own research and finding out what's really going on in the government. Anti-crypto evangelist. Yeah, here, t- totally, so. totally. Yeah. Like, I don't like the, uh, whatever I just, a QAnon I, person I, is about cryptocurrency. That's what I am. I'm a. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to land the plane here, guys. I just, I would love, I'd love trying to land a plane for with with, uh, with Christian Fago's uh, comment early on in the podcast today when he said, "God, this is boring." <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, this isn't your therapy session. <laughs> it's not a place to talk about your life. <laughs> and then uh, Trisha says. Hey Christian, uh, let me suggest you should listen to something else if you don't consider boring. I just appreciate how comments. boring his life much it must actually be. If he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to type about this being boring. Wow, has Twitter run out of uh, all energy? Uh, well, I'll be interested hey, to know uh, if more Thank people if more people launch into all this uh, or less, and we'll find we'll find that out. All right, good people. Uh, we will uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Um, what day is it today? Tuesday? Uh, tomorrow. Uh, yes. Uh, somebody who's been on our podcast used to be one of the co-hosts of the Wednesday conversation. Laura Truax went away to a monastery kind of thing for 35 days and was silent. She's broken her silence and tells us all about it. That's, uh, that, that, happens, uh, that happens on the podcast tomorrow. Great day. And then we'll see you again on Thursday and on Friday. And we'll probably talk about economics. This is related to cryptocurrency, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that (laughs) stuff later. All right. Thanks, y'all. All right. Bye, everybody.